there was a big firestorm going on. We've had a week to kind of we'll try and catch our breath, I guess. A, a media conference that didn't happen, lots of speculation, a, a media conference from Ian Foster on Friday. What have you made of it all? Yeah, it's just been handled poorly. Journalists just ask questions, right? And I think the public want those questions answered. Laurie, do you have faith that all the right people are in place at this stage for the World Cup? Well, how could you? It is kind of interesting that where everyone's getting the sack except the boss. And Foster's a good guy. It's just that things, the All Blacks aren't winning. Yep, it's more than a week since that history-making All Black loss to Ireland and fans and media are still seething. I don't think I've seen a week as out of control as this from an organisation that likes to be in control. That's Scotty Stevenson, freelance writer and broadcaster for Spark Sport. He's been covering rugby from the sidelines for radio and TV since 2007. He calls it a week of extraordinary events, from the press conference immediately after the match that was cut short. The pressure is mounting on coach Ian Foster. He refused to answer questions about his future on Saturday night, and then his Sunday press conference was cancelled, with New Zealand rugby offering no explanation as to why. To that surprise cancellation... He was just getting on the bus, and one of the reporters said, oh, why's the press conference been cancelled? And he said, I don't know. Um, he, he obviously did know. He was, he was obviously told. But I'm almost certain, without knowing for sure, that Ian Foster didn't go to the All Blacks media team and said, hey, I don't want to do this media conference. I'm not doing it. Mm. Can you just tell them I don't want to do it? Yeah, well, it's about time, isn't it, um, that someone from either the All Blacks or New Zealand rugby fronted on where things sit. To the LinkedIn message from media manager Jo Malcolm putting her hand up as the one who cancelled the press conference. It's just been handled poorly. I mean, if you're going to be, you know, Homer Simpson disappearing into the hedge, you know, that meme, then you've got to stay in the hedge. You can't come out and say the reason why we did this was you know, protecting Fozzie's mental health. I mean, that really diminishes people who have actually got really, you know, genuine mental issues and stuff. So, you know, you can't be playing those cards uh, willy-nilly like that. I feel like they just should have fronted up. It hasn't been a good look, has it, really? No, it hasn't played out very well. Um, probably every mistake that could have been made has been made along the way. And, you know, they're under a lot of pressure, but you have to just front these things. But hang on, they've cut a couple of the coaches. The squad's been named for next month's tour to South Africa. Things will surely simmer down now. No, things won't simmer down. And why would they? We're still dealing with a coaching group under pressure. We're still dealing with a national representative team that that doesn't look like it's tracking in the right direction. Uh, but it's it's a fascinating time. And again... Just how prepared to answer those questions and, and what sort of answers will be given uh, regarding the decision that gets made. And then they're in the results business. And they go to South Africa and they've got two tests against a very good rugby team. Should they lose one or both, then and I guess that pressure remains. Mm-hmm. Um, that is part and parcel of professional sport. Uh, there's only one winner. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly, and today on The Detail, covering the All Blacks is a job like no other. We wanted to look at it from both sides, but Jo Malcolm cancelled her interview with us, and other former media managers said no. But Scotty Stevenson was in boots and all to talk about a team he's been in close contact with. 
Uh, yeah, very close. And and obviously with, with Sparksport as the, the host broadcaster of, of rugby in the country, um, we did have, you know, almost Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory access, you'd, you'd think. Uh, so spent a lot of time on the sideline of All Black Games, presenting pre-match, post-match, interviewing players uh, throughout weeks, um, and certainly attending uh, my share of press conferences as well. So, yeah, certainly um, covered a lot of rugby and right through the ecosystem, not just All Black Rugby, but of course... Club rugby, provincial rugby, schools rugby, so so all the way through. When you're in that position, mm. it's tricky, right? Because if you're too critical, is there a danger that you get shut out, that you don't get that access? <laughs> uh, yeah, there is. Um, and most uh, most journalists covering rugby don't go in there to be arch critics of rugby. Yeah, it's a long haul following a winter code. Um, it's a lot of time out in the cold, uh, a lot of waiting around. Um, and most people approach the game because they love the game. I think if you talk to any sports journalist, why would you cover sports? Well, first and foremost, you're a fan of sports. That doesn't necessarily make you a fan of a team. Mm. Uh, and objectivity still remains within sports journalism and must remain as it remains in all other forms of journalism. So, um, you know, I think Dylan Cleaver in uh, a recent column in his newsletter, The Bounce, pointed it out, you, you know, we don't have to be in this adversarial situation because that's not why we all entered the field. We entered the field because we're fascinated by the game, we're fascinated by the players. Uh, in my case, I'm fascinated by the ecosystem of professional sports, and that's on the field and off. Um, and, that, and that's why we're there. So, but, but criticism's part and parcel of covering sport. If a player has a bad game... You, you're allowed to point that out. It mm. happens. Uh, just as when a player shines, uh, they'll be splashed over the front pages and leading the news break for having a standout game. That is the way the cookie crumbles. Sport can be very brutal. And the analysis of sport can be equally brutal, but not unfair. Have you ever been in a situation where you've criticised the All Blacks and hmm. uh, and it's meant that they haven't given you access or they've said, no, you know, you can't do an interview with so-and-so? Oh, look, yeah, I, I would put it to you that most people who have covered professional rugby in this country have at one point or another um, got themselves offside with administrators or coaches. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I remember not even criticising the All Blacks but, but writing a speculative story on who might be in their team jumping the gun, so to speak, on when they wanted to announce that. It was completely accurate, but it so incensed uh, the coach, Steve Henson, that that Sky Sport were told that if I was hosting the show, they wouldn't put All Blacks up to be interviewed. And we're only talking four or five years ago. And so, you, you know, you sit there and you shake your head with that kind of action, but it wasn't unusual, and it's not unusual. And I think if you were to talk to most journalists, at some point or another, they've had the come-to-Jesus moment where they've been forced to either say sorry or genuflect before the genius of, of the All Blacks. And, uh, you know, it's a, it can be an incredibly frustrating time. But, yeah, no, that's, that's serious business, isn't it? What, what did you have to do in that situation? Did you have to <laughs> genuflect genu- oh, <laughs> Well, yeah, it, it, was, it was strange, uh, you know. And I, I did, and, and there was an expectation that I was to apologise, um, which I balked at, um, as you can imagine. And, and fascinatingly, uh, it was uh, some of the senior players within that team who asked me just to do it so we could all get on with the job. <laughs> and um, I, I still to this day laugh at that. It was, it was 
at the time quite stressful, as you can imagine. But uh, thinking about it now, with a few years under the belt, you just you kind of giggle. Really. Yeah. What What is it like though? Because you, you know you've obviously been on tours with them, overseas mm. tours. Mm. I mean, what is it like when you actually have to look them in the eye after you have done a really critical report on them? Yeah, well, I haven't often, to be honest, but I believe in mature discourse. And, you know, we live in an age now where people don't have to look each other in the eye to be critical. And, mm. and I think that's problematic, but that's, a, that's, another, <laughs> that's another day. Um, if you're adult about how you go about your business and you go into it with good faith and you are there to discharge your duty as a journalist and as an objective observer of the game, you should be able to do that. And if there is a disagreement in terms of how you've perceived a situation or a game or, or a player's form or a coach's form for that matter, what's wrong with sitting down and discussing that uh, as adults? And, and I think that's the nub of the issue right now is are we dealing with the sport in, in an adult fashion? And I, there seems to be a, a bit of a missing link in the chain here between being able to have that honest and open and mature discussion about where your perceptions lie and where someone else might think reality sits. And how did it come to this? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think rugby's always felt quite powerful um, for reasons outlined above. Uh, it's always been the big sport in the country, the, the dominant sport. Professionalism, I think, has just accelerated the, the concept of brand and brand protection. Um, the All Blacks is a brand. We know that, whether we still like to think of it as a nationally representative team or not. Um, it, it is a brand because it comes with merchandise and the beanies and the scarves and the, and the overinflated ticket prices and mm-hmm. all of the other attendant things that go with professional sports. So, uh, you know, I think it, it did come down to the fact that as rugby professionalised, it looked around the world, it took its cues from other sports that had long had media offices or press offices and um, took that up themselves. And interestingly, I listened to a podcast just uh, a few days ago with uh, Rick Salizzo, who's a famous broadcaster producer in this country, but he was the All Blacks' first media manager. And when he first took the job, no one really knew what the job was supposed to be. Uh, and it's been refined um, over the years, mm. but it has become a problematic position because you find yourself as the wedge between the journalists looking to develop storylines, to interview players, and, of course, the organisation that maybe is looking to protect their own interests. And um, I think sometimes that's dressed up as protecting the players, but I don't think that's the case. So if you were at the press conference, if they were holding a press conference on the Sunday morning, would you have said to Ian Foster, are you going to resign? (laughs) Would you have called for his blood, Scotty? Well, I mean, you're referring to comments made by... New Zealand Rugby Media Manager Joe Malcolm, mm. which which I think are um, ridiculous. No one in that press corps is calling for blood. That's just not how this works. Um, and the and the the question should be: Where is Ian Foster's employers in all of this? If it's the journalists who are calling for resignations and calling for blood and using Ian Foster and I quote as a punching bag then his own organisation didn't do a great job in protecting him by coming out and backing him the night before or even on the morning. Yet to make these claims is just outrageous. And this is someone who's been in the communications field for a long time, who purports to be a lecturer in journalism. It would actually be a fair question at a press conference for a coach who's been under enormous pressure since he got the job to ask if he's happy and he's still willing to be there. There's no... There's just no planet on which that's not a fair question in the in the current circumstances. What do you believe should have happened? 
Well, and Foster should have turned up and perhaps his employers should have turned up with him and backed him there, if indeed they back him. Mm-hmm. And if they don't back him, then why wouldn't journalists be asking questions? Their own CEO put out a statement after the cancellation of a press conference to say that results are unacceptable. Well, I, I couldn't think of a more mixed message if, if I tried. Mm. So who is to blame in this situation? And, and, and is blame even the right word? We, we are actively seeking answers as to why this All Black team is not performing to its potential and to the expectations of the very organisation it works for. Uh, why wouldn't journalists be asking these questions? They'd be natural questions to ask of a politician, of a CEO and any other business that was underperforming. In your time covering rugby, mm. have you seen a week like this? I mean, <laughs> the, the I've commentary... Seen, yeah, I've seen tensions with New Zealand rugby, and I think there is often a tension with a sport that, that has made very bold claims about its place in this country. Uh, we only have to go back a couple of years uh, to when Steve Hansen was demanding the government fund this team. How, that's how important it was, in his eyes, to New Zealand. Um, we've seen fractious weeks. John Hart would attest to the pressure he felt in 1998 when, when his All Blacks side went five straight defeats. When the All Blacks lose, yes, there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth, but that's part and parcel of a very engaged fan base and a very engaged media core as well who want to get to the bottom of the problem. Uh, we all follow the game and we all love the game and so I, I don't think I've seen a week as out of control as this, uh, from an organisation that likes to be in control. And there are so many shifting, moving parts to the week that uh, I'm wondering whether anyone in the organisation knows quite where to go to next. When you say you haven't seen a week so out of control, did that start on the Sunday morning when the press conference was unexpectedly cancelled and it seemed even Ian Foster didn't know it had been cancelled? (laughs) Yeah, well, that's extraordinary for starters, and scarcely believable. Yeah, but I just it just seems to have over the course of the week after the All Blacks lost that second test, and then obviously the pressure ratchets up again, and and then to lose the third test. And let's put it in perspective: it, it's a it's a game. Mm. They lost a game of footy. Okay, I mean it, it has no bearing on my life, but it certainly has on theirs. Uh, they're professional athletes in a, in a cutthroat world. But everything that happened subsequent to that, the press conference on Saturday night was cut short. Sunday's press conference was cancelled. Uh, there was an awful lot of speculation in the media, awful lot of chat on talkback radio stations, in a, in a fan base that was largely just in the dark about where to next, and an organisation that just didn't seem to know where to move and where to manoeuvre. And they do have a, a, a large communications staff there. Um, but I, I find it extraordinary that... This devolved into an argument with a former staffer on LinkedIn, of all places, and that's how the world discovers who cancelled a press conference. That former staff member was Mike Jaspers, who didn't want to talk to me about it. It just doesn't seem to be well thought out, and it hardly seems professional to get into a scrap with a former staffer on a sensibly a a social media page Mm. uh, when you've got the interests of a very big brand in your hands in that particular moment. But couldn't you say that, you know, that New Zealand rugby was kind of, it needed time to work out what its next step? Because it's is it crisis time at the moment? I mean, 
Christ, these are what you make of them, aren't they? But uh, look, there's another way to look at this, of course, is that, that Ms Malcolm, you know, literally fell on a grenade and took one for the team here, uh, shifted the focus to her and, and the media strategy as opposed to a beleaguered coach. It's, I wouldn't say it's a crisis, Sharon. I mean, I think that word would be too great. But, but what we've seen here is a shift, and I think a, a very real shift from the public and certainly those covering New Zealand rugby, and I, I use that term in the sense of the organisation, New Zealand rugby, not, not the game in New Zealand. There, there seems to be a shift where there, there is not a lot of empathy for how this organisation is going about its business right now in terms of the justification for its actions, in terms of the way it's treating uh, the media cohort around the All Blacks, um, the protectionism involved in that, uh, and the lack of transparency. And you, you have to sort of consider what this All Black team purports to stand for, which is fronting up and walking towards challenges and all the other things we've heard ad nauseum around the brand, uh, and then just not to front, to answer some tough questions. Well, surely that's just undermining the very thing that you've tried to create and that others have created over 120, 130 years of history. Mm. Can it be fixed? Well, it can, but I, I think a whole lot of mature heads need to get in a room and, and kind of understand where, where everyone sits here. I think problematically from the, the New Zealand rugby media relationship point of view is, is players are so protected now from those covering the sport that you never build those relationships. Uh, if you were to ask a player to name three journalists who cover them, they'd probably struggle. Really? Because there is no relationship. The relationship is all through a third party, in this case a media manager or several media managers. Um, it's a very controlled dialogue as we know. And half the reason you'd never turn up to a press conference in the first place is you know that they're going to be stock standard answers to every question. If you threw a, a tricky question in a press conference, mm. what what would happen? Well, you'd probably get a withering look to start with and um, and then you'd get an answer, whether it answered your question or not. It would be another, uh, would, is, is something else to consider. Um, look, there is some sport involved in those exchanges. Uh, but I, I think the nub of the issue here for me is that We don't teach our players and our professional athletes how the media ecosystem works. We don't teach them that the guy who wrote the story about you or the the woman who wrote the story about you did not write the headline. The basic fundamentals such as that. And what, the things that make them so resentful or upset? Yeah, they read read a headline and think that somehow that this person wrote that or you wrote that, and and we know that's not how it works. And certainly in newspapers, it's not how it works. We know that... When you've got 10 minutes of audio, you you cut out pieces that suit the story and the narrative. And, yeah, it's just sometimes I don't think we've we've taught, we've trained, when we talk about media training in sport, what we're really saying is this is what you will say. Mm. We're not media training in the sense of understanding how a television news report is put together, how a radio story is put together, how a radio interview is conducted, how a, a front page of a newspaper is designed and laid out and subbed. And so there's no inherent understanding for our professional athletes about just how this works. And I think that's a great shame. In the vast majority of times, the things that have been written or said on television or radio, coaches and players would agree with. It's just hard to read that. But we often hear the same line as we review ourselves much harder than anyone else does or our expectations are much higher than anyone else's. Well, if that's the case, then don't be upset when... Mm. When, when someone, when you've fallen below someone else's expectations. So the media landscape around New Zealand rugby, yeah. is it different to other sports? I guess in rugby the, the tone is set by the top. 
And and that's the danger here, where if people look from the outside in over this week in particular with New Zealand rugby, you'd think it's been very antagonistic, it's been very adversarial. Um, is that the way to go? Uh, uh, again, I've quoted Dylan Cleaver already in this uh, piece, but I thought his assessment of New Zealand cricket and the differences between how New Zealand rugby uh, works with the media and how New Zealand cricket works with the media, and I've been very fortunate to, to broadcast both rugby and international cricket in New Zealand, and it is a very different way of of dealing with the media. And and it was very illustrative for me for him to say, you know, not once in his time covering cricket, which dates almost two decades, has he ever had a, a media manager complain to his editor or call him direct to, to have a moan uh, or to say you're absolutely wrong uh, mm-hmm. and be banished from the scene for good. And and I find that's that's a mature approach. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about your sport. Uh, and, you know... The one thing I'd say about the week is, you know, I can't remember the All Blacks dominating the conversation as much in the last wee while as they have this week. And it might not be for the best reasons, but boy, oh boy, there's some, there's some column inches written and some, uh, some hours of airtime spent. I reckon. You know. And I was going to ask you, I mean, the, the followers, the fans and the people mm-hmm. on Talkback Radio, mm-hmm. are they taking the same line as most of the, as the commentators are? Oh, look, absolutely. You only have to spend 10 minutes after an All Blacks loss on a, on a sports talkback station to understand the depth of feeling out there. Yeah, or, or read Twitter, which I don't. But uh, it would be much more savage than those of us covering the game from a journalistic point of view, that is for sure. We tend not to let our passions get away with us. At least I hope so. Uh, that's not always the case. But yeah, look, there's a, there is a depth of feeling out there. And, and you well know that that as a journalist, you're you're taking everything in. There's this osmosis around the sport that you follow. You know what the fans are thinking. You know what others are thinking. You know what those within organisations who who won't go on the record are thinking. Mm. Uh, you know what your sources are telling you. Um, and so you're compiling all of that when you're reporting on the sport. And, and I go back to the accusation that the, the media are using the coach as a punching bag, and then they want blood. They're not. They're reflecting. The mood uh, that, the, the, that those fans are in, they're reflecting their own knowledge of the game um, and they're putting that together and trying to make sense of a situation that at times uh, professional sport is ridiculous. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Bonnie Harrison and Alexia Russell. Thanks to Scotty Stevenson. Mā te wā. They came here with massive intent and what a test series win this is. Historic.